Hello and welcome to episode 163 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And join me as always is the sumptuous League Freak. You can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm not going to fuck Andrew, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, mate. The last two episodes have been buttering you up. Ah, oh, you've talked me into it. <laughs> What do you reckon? Uh, that's, that was a good one. That was a really good one. I wasn't expecting that one. I thought that went up a few days ago, and I went, I'm not, I'm not going to forget it this time. I'm going to use that one. Yeah, that was uh, that was good. That made my balls wet. Oh, I reckon you should change your, your banner on your on your website to the Sumptuous League Freak from now on. I, I, you know what? I will do it because I downloaded a graphics program just today to do some graphics work, and, yeah, it's time for a new banner on the website, so that's what I'll do. I'll call myself the Sumptuous League Freak. <laughs> oh, that's going to go real well. Yeah. Now, that's, there's been a little bit of shit going on in the last few days, let's be honest, in the rugby league world. Yeah, yeah just a, a little bit. Yeah, we're not just talking here either. There's been a bit going on over in the UK too. Mm. Um, where do you want to start? Here or over there? Uh, let's start in the UK for a change. I know that we've got some uh, Pommy listeners. They like to listen to us uh, in the bath. Not really. But, uh, yeah, let's go through. So one of the big stories over there was that the uh, UK government approved £16 million in loans to the Rugby Football League to stop the sport from dying during the pandemic. And how much did you say that was in Australian dollars? About $31 million. That's not insignificant. No, it's a, it's a pretty good sum of money over there, especially when there's, what, three teams left in England playing in the Super League? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, uh, it, it's a it's a good-sized loan. I must say it's, um, you know, well, some of the taxpayers probably won't be very happy with that money going there. Um, It's a pretty good get for the, uh, for the Super League over there. Yeah, it really is, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how they spend that money. I know that the Rugby Football League is really, really good at spending money. Um, I, you know, the taxpayers aren't getting that money back. They probably know that. If I was a taxpayer, I'd be pretty pissed off about this, actually. Do you reckon they'll use it to buy that ground at Bradford? <laughs> how much did we work out that ground was? Did we ever get a price on that? No, we didn't. Um, but, oh, gee, I reckon $16 million should almost cover it, shouldn't it? That probably would. Maybe what they can do is they can uh, get oddsall, right? They can create a bubble with that money that the government's given them, just a big bubble over the stadium, and put all of the uh, English rugby league players in it. And then, uh, I don't know, just close it up, walk away. Flatten out that corner up in the end there where the, where the ground goes it goes on a bit of a hill, doesn't it? The back yeah. corner of one of the ends there. Yeah, just flatten that out. Someone can just go over there with a shovel. It would be handy. It'd be yeah. handy. Just make it's, it flat uh, like most normal football grounds. There was a really interesting quote that I read it to you, and then you you gave me a really really good fact that came in just on the back of that. So Ralph Rimmer, who's got one of the best names in in all of sport. Oh, it's great, Mister Rimmer. Um, he said, "This is his quote: Rugby league is not a wealthy sport, but it is rich in the things that matter most." outstanding sporting and life chances in often disadvantaged communities. Now, what did you... That that came out in the same week that the RFL decided they were scrapping the £15,000 minimum income 
for Super League players. Yeah, how good's that? Yeah, there's <laughs> opportunity for you people. Go and play the Super League for five thousand pounds a year. Yeah, well, you know, the, you got to make sure there's some disadvantaged people in rugby league. Still, you don't want them all on fifteen grand a year. You could probably work as a part-time employee at McDonald's over there and earn more money as a, um, you know, backup Super League player. You probably could, eh? Just think about that. <laughs> Man, that's that's terrible, <laughs> actually. When you think Pretty about it. bloody sad. What are some of the uh, jobs that they would have in England for rugby league players? Like, we know the jobs that we have over here for rugby league players. Um, you know, some of them... I mean, we've seen some former Newcastle players have been couriers after they've retired, things like that. But uh, <laughs> I'm thinking uh, over in I England. Say, I just say there'd be people working at Nando's, wouldn't they? Yeah, Nando's. Apparently there's a Nando's every five yards in England. Yes, there is. Um, chimney sweeps. That would be another one. You know what's really weird in England, that they have people to wash your windows? Yes. Yes, there could, there could be some window washers. Yeah. Um, that, that'd be a job for Tolkani, wouldn't it? <laughs> Don't eat the yellow snow. Um, <laughs> what other cool jobs would they have over in England? You could grit, the, grit the roads. Grit the roads? I was going to say coal miner. Yeah. That, Where, that's not going to stop being a job. Yeah. Um. I think that's everything, eh? Pretty much covered everything out there. Yeah. Anyway, so that's some news. What was the other news that we had? Oh, the we had the big international news during the week that uh, Nigel Wood is going to stand down as the chief executive of International Rugby League at the end of 2020, and he's also going to leave his role on the board of the 2021 World Cup. So... I mean, that's a seismic change that's going to happen right there. Yeah, I suppose it makes me wonder who's coming in. Um, I would hope that the person who replaces him isn't from Australia or England. But something something inside just says it will be. Yeah. Well, you know Um, what it's like when they say we want to... We're going to put out an international calendar and then you just get basically Australia and New Zealand's calendar and then England's and then that's it. And France is like, well, what about us? It's, it's always so ridiculous. Like, I, I, you know who I'd like to see running at France? Yeah, I think that'd be good to see. Get some, do we know of any, um, prominent French businessmen? We could get one of those on there and they could, they could run the international game. Do we know any French businessman? Can you name one French businessman? I was going to make a joke, but I think the person's died, so I won't go there. Um, okay. <laughs> looking up if they're dead or not. That's fucking brilliant. I am. Now. I I'm pretty, say... pretty sure they are. Okay. The only French person I know is uh, Manu off of My Restaurant Rules or whatever it's called. Oh, yes. Yeah. I don't really know any other French people. Say my joke. I was going to say Rene Rifkin. I don't think he was French, was he? No, no, but his name was Rene. Yeah, Rene, that's close enough, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what other news? What news did we have from this side of the world, the important side of the world, on top of the world? Well, the New Zealand Warriors are saving the NRL. Mm-hmm. Um, and the NRL's 
uh, taking them by making them stay in Tamworth. And is that some sort of cruel fucking joke? What is that? Yeah, why Tamworth? I, I don't know. Look, take take our criticisms of Tamworth aside. Why choose yeah. Tamworth when every other team's based in pretty much Sydney or Brisbane? You know, they're in capital cities. Why Tamworth? Like, that's okay. just a fucking long drive or a long flight from any major sporting venue. I don't get it. So how about this, right? Let's look at some of the alternatives. If you're going to look at a regional area, okay, so they probably could have flown into the Gold Coast Airport, which I believe is still in New South Wales. Well, it's half in New South Wales, but they're close enough. And then they could have stayed at Byron Bay. Pretty nice. Nice one. Obviously, there's reasons we can't go to Coffs Harbour. Just can't. We're not rolling mm-hmm. the dice on that one again. No. Port Macquarie, a mm, little bit similar. I don't want to go to Port Macquarie. Yeah. We could send them to Wollongong, but Wollongong doesn't have an airport. Yeah. Could have put them I... in Canberra. That would have been understandable. A similar climate to Auckland this time of year. Yep. Bloody freezing. Yep. Like, um, like Auckland, somewhere you really don't want to go. <laughs> I've, I've been to Auckland. I didn't mind it. Oh, did you? Uh, yeah. You know what? They've got the Space Needle. Is that what they call it? I believe that's what they call it, yeah. Yep. And they've got a, a lovely harbour. Yeah. There's no harbour in Canberra. That's true. There is uh, Lake Burley Griffin, though. That's yeah. pretty... Pretty good. <laughs> Compared to, say, your usual standard puddles. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it is also a man-made lake as well. There's, there's nothing wrong with a man-made lake. No. Um, so, yeah, it's... I don't know. I, I just don't get why they chose Tamworth of all places. Yeah. Just pick well, a capital city and send them there. Like, send them to Darwin if you want to. Just why, why Tamworth... It's not going to be cheap for them to fly in and out of there because you've got mm. to go on those regional flights. Oh, they got a chartered flight, I'm pretty sure. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I guess they'll get a chartered flight down in Sydney. The thing that that gets me about Tamworth is that uh, it's a fucking shithole. <laughs> now, without, without going into it too much, yeah. there was a story you sent me that came from Melbourne. Um, which we had a bit of a joke about, but it, it made me realise that your criticisms of Tamworth, um, yeah. may, maybe Tamworth's fallen off the, uh, they've fallen off the bandwagon a bit as far as what you <laughs> criticise them for. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop you right here because we cannot fucking, we cannot. No, 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 no. This. We're not going to go down there, okay. but it made me realise that they've got some catching up to do and they need to catch up fast. Yeah. They probably do. Some of that, uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> another another team that's got to relocate is, I don't know if you've seen this one or not, is the Melbourne Storm. Mm. Because um, they're not allowed to do physical contact training down here in Melbourne. So they're looking at moving them to Albury. And they'll train from there. Uh, yeah, that's going to be interesting. How, like, here's a question for you, because I don't, I don't really know this one. But how far is Albury in, say, hours drive from Melbourne? Oh, three, maybe four. 
Ah, somewhere so around there. Close. Yeah, it's not that far. Okay. Yeah, it's closer to a capital city than bloody Tamworth is, that's for sure. Yeah, well, it's closer to fucking, you know, the 1960s as well. Oh, no, nah, Aubrey's, Aubrey's updated now. It's all good. <laughs> you reckon? Where yeah, would yeah. you like to stay? If you had to pick a regional centre to stay in, where would you stay? Yeah, Aubrey would be high on the list. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, mate. I, I don't know if you've been there recently. In the last last decade or so, they've done heaps of upgrades there. The place has got a nice little, uh, you know, upgraded town centre and stuff like that. Oh, really? Pretty nice hmm. spot. I would... Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's a regional centre I like better than any Plus, others. you know, if, you were, if you're an NRL player and you... You know you're one of those players that causes mm-hmm. mischief and likes getting on the piss. Mm-hmm. Go to Aubrey. All the all the pubs in Tony Country Towns outside around there, and the yep. the mobile phone reception is absolute garbage. Oh really? Yeah, just go out there. You know, hop up to say Holbrook and go. They've got three pubs at Holbrook. Might Holy shit! No, I think they've got you three spent, pubs at Holbrook still. Go out there and get a just, lot of time there, haven't you? I used to play basketball at Holbrook. Oh really? What position just, did you play? I was a guard. Oh my god! Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. Basketball's for tall people. Yeah, um, we had three tall people on our on our side, mm-hmm. and I was I was just on six foot tall, um, and I could do layups, so they made me a guard. Ah, okay, nice. Yeah, I couldn't what shoot threes. What was your team called? Can't remember. I think it was just named after one of our sponsors, which was one of the three pubs. <laughs> hey, that's good enough. Um, we were one of the most penalised teams in the comp because we just we we played a bit too aggressive. Yeah. Like I'd often go for a drive and I would I just tuck the ball under the arm and just run at people. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you can't do that. Nah. And you know you're not allowed to drop the shoulder when you're um when you're doing a bit of a pick and roll. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to just stand there and let people run at you. I was like, yeah. nah, no one's running at me knocking me over. So, you, you know, you can't drop the shoulder when you're trying to guard someone so they can shoot a three. Apparently that's not on either. Yeah, they they frown against that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So we made it to the grand final in one year. I think we finished third or something the year after that. We weren't too bad. but Yeah, that's not bad. A, a bit ill-disciplined. Sounds like it. But, um, yeah, there was... There's three pubs there. I mean, you can go there and just get yourself tanked across those and just get up to all sorts of mischief. No one's going to know. There's no one out there. Yeah, like, I, I've never been to there, I've, and I probably will never be there, but uh, you give it a pretty good review, so I'll always take that on board. You know what? When I'm... Also got possibly the best bakery in New South Wales there as well. Oh, really? Now every I'm time, every, every time I, I, you know, we go for a drive up to see my parents... They don't live too far away from there. Mm-hmm. Always pull in there and grab something to eat. Okay. Mm, good stuff. Um, they've got two two pubs at Tarkata on the other, you know, a bit further up the highway. Mm-hmm. Go on there and get yourself tanked. They got to be careful there. There is a police station nearby the uh, the Horse and Jockey Hotel, mm-hmm. so you got to be careful with that one. RSL's up on the hill, a bit further away. So yeah, there's, there's options. So they're sorted. The storm are going to be all right, is what you're yeah, saying. Just go out there and get yourself. You can get tanked as much as you want. Do whatever crap you want. No one's ever going to know. The phone reception's so bad, you won't be able to do TikTok videos. 
it's brilliant. And there's there's no hordes of young girls out there either, so you'll be fine. They're not going to get into any misconduct. Misconduct. Well, that's that's nothing good to worry about. There's nothing yeah, to worry about. Okay, so where, what were we talking about? Something Tamworth. Oh, uh, yeah, we are talking about Tamworth oh, yeah, and Country Centre. So, yeah, the Storm, they've got to go to Albury. Uh, so they're going to do that. The uh, New Zealand Warriors, they've arrived in Tamworth now. They had to leave one player behind because they they seem to be showing signs of not being well. So that shows that there oh, are some... coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, oh. Shut it all down. Shut, shut it down. all down. New Zealand's See, fucked. It's got coronavirus. So... So yeah, so it's all it's starting to pick up momentum, which is good to see. That's very good to see. Mm. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, NRL coaches caught off guard by tackle ban on training return. This was an interesting one because, look, I I don't know how true it is. You got to be really careful with some of the stories that are put out by the media because like ninety eight percent of them are fucking bullshit at the moment. Um, but it made me think about how you would do non-contact in training. Now, there's always non-contact training sessions, and and there's that's you know no big deal. But I don't think that you're going to get too much out of not having contact. I mean, you play a game of touch footy, it's you know it's still well, you're still mingling, you know. Yeah, you still got to touch them. Yeah, um, you want to this- touch them. That's right. Well, look here. Sissy, the AIS guidelines contain a three-step stage, three stage return to full contact training and competitions. The NRL clubs will move from level A to level B this week, which includes no tackling or wrestling drills. Level C allows clubs to return to full contact training. And NRL clubs were told they won't progress to that threshold until May 9 at the earliest, which is only a few days away. Only a few days away. See, this is the bullshit that the media keeps pushing out. They're not even fucking training yet. And they're saying, okay, you know, they won't be. It's like, what was the date they were coming back? I thought, wasn't that the 7th? Yeah. So it's, it's not going to fucking really affect Oh, no, them. they've got to wait two days. Oh. Let's keep, the season's in jeopardy. Shut it down. Shut, Shut it down. down. Oh, fuck. Um... This, this could be a quick episode. We just shut everything down. I know. <laughs> um, what's this one here? Oh, another, another, um, puppet Vlandy's, uh, positive headline. In Vlandy's We Trust, Wade Graham slams reports of NRL pay dispute. Now, this is hilarious because at one point I heard on 2GB today that what they were saying in 2GB's Channel 9. What they were saying was that uh, Wade Graham got on there and he said, yeah, they're open to uh, to having like a thin, like a lockout basically and not going in unless their terms were met. But apparently this article completely contradicts that. Yeah. Um, Cronulla star Wade Graham has slammed reports that NRL players were planning to revolt over a pay dispute, saying they were right behind ARL Commission Chairman Peter Vlandis. Uh, and it's just more of what we've already discussed elsewhere. Um, Landy's told more than 40 NRL stars on a Zoom conference call on Friday that players will be paid 80% of their original 2020 wage. Um, there's really nothing in this. 80% is pretty damn good considering where 
where everything is at and especially where sports are at. Like how many sports that have been hit by this are going to be able to pay their players even 80% of uh, what they got? I've I've got a question. I'm I'm not sure anyone's asked this. So, you know, don't feel bad if you don't know the answer. But I assume that the NRL pays the salary cap for each year around about November of the year before. So the 2020 salary cap would have been paid in November 2019 because that's usually when all the contracts come to an end, isn't it? And I assume that the the money for the next year's salary cap is handed over then, which would make me think that the clubs have already been given their money for this year's salary cap to pay the players in full. So if they're not being paid in full, where does that extra money in the cap go? Is that going well, back into the club's coffers or back to the NRL? Well, my understanding is they actually get paid month by month. Okay. Yeah, that's that's my understanding of it. And look, I, I'm willing to be corrected on that, but okay. I'm almost certain that they get paid month by month. And that's why um, they had, because they've they've paid all of the, you know, as you say, the new season kicks in for all the, the year kicks in for rugby league on the 1st of November. So they've been paid a number of months already even before the shutdown finished. So yeah. it's not like rugby league players uh, only got two weeks' worth of pay. It, it didn't work that way. They've been paid all the way up until the shutdown from, you know, November. Um, so, so yeah. So it's, there's not really a saving there to make. I, like, I get the point you're, you're going for, and it would have been interesting if it was that way. But, yeah, I believe it's month by month. And I don't know if, if it's... I don't know if they get their payment directly from the NRL or if it goes through the clubs. I'm not sure about that. I'll have to have to ask some questions yeah. about that. So I suppose the because the NRL pays the money to the clubs, I assume for the salary cap, mm. the the money being saved would be going back to the NRL or back. Yeah, because the the NRL's given the clubs a whole heap of extra funding already. So I assume that the, the the savings on player salaries goes back into the NRL coffers. Well, it doesn't really go back. It's just less money that comes out of their bank account, so to speak, the NRL's bank. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder how that works because, you know, because they haven't been being paid by the broadcasters, obviously, because there's no content to pay them for. Um, I, I I don't think there'll be any savings as much as there will be it's almost like a break-even scenario. It's like we haven't been able to pay her. We're not getting paid, and as soon as we get money, we pay her. I, I don't know that they're going to be saving any money out of that scenario, though. That's the thing. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. That's a, probably a question that people who are paid journalists should probably have bothered to look into. It would be cool, hey? Yeah. But why would you do that when you can just make some shit up? We don't want facts. No. I've facts, got a... are, facts are so... Like, that's so old-school journalism. It's boring, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, another bit of news that's popped up is that the apparently the NRL ad has been axed. So Latrell Mitchell faces a bit more scrutiny over his, um, you know, his little journey with Josh Adokar going shooting and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so apparently the Simply the Best ad, which where he was you know, front and centre with the, the Aboriginal flag, which caused a whole heap of white people to get cranky. 
Um, apparently that's going to be axe now. I I think this is another non-story. I think it, that they've they've gone to the NRL and said, "Hey, you're going to use that advert," and they're like, "Oh, we don't have any plans to at the moment. We're kind of <laughs> kind of busy just trying to get things back up and running." And some journal was gone. Oh yeah, Latrell Mitchell well, axed. Let's not say some journal. It's Danny Widler. Ah, oh, there we go. He's the uh, the poor Crawley of the Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah. Um, and he's just putting a whole heap of words in there. I can't be bothered reading his stuff, to be honest. It's just fucking shit. Let's face it. You know, why don't you yeah. just go back to fucking licking Sonny Bill Williams' asshole? Well, he's not in Australia, so it's, it's hard to line up. Oh, a, a... he'd find a way. He'd oh, find a way. Nah, it's hard, mate, it, because it's... There's, there's no park bench that he can go to to have a quiet little one-on-one chat. He'd say he was saving a fucking kitten or something, you know? Every time he every time he fucking scrambles an egg right, Danny Widler writes about it. Yeah. Um Let's get to the big story here. Yeah, this is the big one. Channel nine targets the NRL's digital arm as part of revised broadcast deal, and all I can say is wow, what a fucking surprise. We've been talking about it for, I'd suggest, months now. I think we we're talking about it like, oh, man, we might have been talking about this for close on eight months, how the NRL Digital is a really big asset for the game and how it is a direct competitor for the commercial networks and the commercial stations and all of those people. And so they hate it and they have rallied against it and said it's a terrible use of funding. And it turns out that uh, they would love to be in charge of it. Yeah, um, we've seen Phil Gould on Twitter this week saying that the digital arm is a big waste of money and it's ridiculous and it's he just he shut it down and talked about how garbage it is. And if it's so bad, why does Channel 9 want it, his employer? Um, and that's because it's not so bad. It's exactly. actually generating revenue. Exactly. And I wrote about this today on my website. The article didn't get as much traction as I thought it would. But can you imagine the NRL website filled with the absolute fucking trash that you see coming out of Nine and their stations and their publications where it is just like makes you want to vomit seeing the crap that they come up with? I mean, how many times do we want to hear how funny it was that time that Andrew Johns was out in the piss? You know, there's only so many times you can hear that. How many times do we want to see fucking articles on NRL.com about how Phil Gould knew that every fucking team was always going to win the premiership? Yeah, he always knows that after they won it. Oh, 100%. (laughs) 100%. It's interesting, Channel 9 believes... It's only a belief. Mm-hmm. Just remember that. They believe that the uh, the NRL digital arm directly runs in competition with Channel 9. It's only a belief. Yeah. They don't know if it's a fact yet, you stupid bastards. Of course they fucking run in direct competition with you. That's why it exists. And if you how did about your this? job better, that wouldn't exist. Yeah, and how about, how about this, Andrew? What's the problem with that? Exactly. Well, it's competition. But but it's like, that's fine, right? This is our thing. 
we're doing our thing, you do your shit. And, you know, that they're, they're like pouting because they don't produce as good content as the NRL does about rugby league. And then they're saying, well, this shouldn't even exist because it runs in competition. It's like, go fuck yourselves. Like, what are we supposed to do? Shut everything down? And look, that's the way Channel Nine's always looked at rugby league. Like, they don't like the international games because it takes away from the club comp. And that runs it. Like, if it was up to, and it, look, we saw it this year. If it was up to Channel Nine, they would have scrapped the entire season because it would have saved Channel Nine $120 million. That's what Channel Nine thinks of rugby league. They would, they would stop it from being played if they thought they could make a dollar out of it. So if they don't like NRL Digital, no one should fucking care. And it should be a, a vital part of Peter Volandi's entire focus to keep NRL Digital as an independent source of information for the fans of the game and have that independent reach and not have to rely on these fucking scumbags at commercial stations who don't care about the game. Never have. Um it says here, the NRL's profitable digital network, which was recently valued at $50 million and costs about $15 million a year to run, including $10 million to provide clubs with digital services. That's right, $35 million. That's the difference between what it's currently valued at and how much it costs to run it per it's year. Incredible. It's incredible. I, did I, have I ever said how I went and saw... Um, years ago, the place that ran the NRL website. Ah, uh, yes, off air. Oh, have I never talked about it? Okay, so man, this must have been must might have been ten, eight, ten years ago or something. I remember I was critical of the NRL website, which at the time I didn't think it it did what it needed to be doing. And one of the people that w- that was in charge of running the website got in touch with me through Twitter and said, "Listen, we've seen your criticism." We understand the way you feel. We'd like to invite you into the offices to check out what happens here. Um, and so I went there. Now, I can't remember the name of the person, but they were lovely when I got there. They showed me around, um, introduced me to some people there. It wasn't a huge office, but there was there was quite a few people working there. Um, and they showed me the back end of the website. We talked a little bit about um, my criticisms of the website and what I would like to see happen. And they spoke to me about how much they really wanted to do those things, but they weren't able to at that time. And it was a real jug, it was a real balancing act for them in terms of what they wanted to do and what the league gave them funding to do and what the clubs wanted to do themselves. Now, um, since I've been there, I've been able to see with their website that the NRO has given them the more funding, obviously. You can see that. And they've been able to do more of the stuff. And it might be a different company that runs it as well. I, I don't know. But that you can see the NRL website is its own thing now. You can see that they don't have to worry about, um, you know, making sure that they have the funding to do things and things like that. And it's been great to see it. And now you look at the NRL website and it's just a good outlet. You get a lot of good footy stories. You get a lot of news it's you've got to always remember that it's coming from the NRL, so you're not going to get the worst news. You're not going to get exposés about, you know, the game not being run well or anything like that. But it is a good, pure footy news outlet. And uh, I would 
I think Peter Volandis, I mean, this might be his legacy right here. The NRL digital footprint, which in this day and age is absolutely vital for the game. He needs to protect it. He does. Um, it's a massive asset. Let's make no mistake. It's a massive asset that's only going to go increasing value um, and has so much potential um, benefit to the game as well. So it would be absolute suicide if they were to throw this away just to try and keep one broadcaster happy, a broadcaster who always has the shits with the game and tries to do what they can to undermine it to try and drive down the cost of it, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, the thing is, it, it appears that nine chief executive Hugh Marks had been kind of banking on the NRL not going ahead this year and he's sort of seen that as we've just saved $130 million this year. Mm-hmm. And now that the rugby league's coming back on again, that money now has to go back into the game. And now he feels, now it seems like they're now in a situation where they can't afford to have 60 minutes on anymore. And it's kind of, kind of ironic that this company, which only a few weeks ago, ran a pretty strong campaign about the NRL being bad financial managers or actual bad financial managers themselves. And given that the outcome of their criticism of the NRL led to Todd Greenberg walking away from the job that he'd been doing reasonably well, um, you know, maybe Hugh Mark should do the same thing at nine. Yeah, he should. He should, you know. Um, it, it's it's fucking unbelievable. It's it really gross. is unbelievable. After it's... seeing the, and you use the word campaign, and it was a campaign that was, I mean, it was orchestrated. It was every single person that worked for that company fucking leaped onto social media and just started spewing shit. And everyone else on social media saw it and was like hit with this wave of bullshit and it was very transparent. And Phil Good still goes on with it. But Phil Good's gone crazy. Um, it's it's crazy that this fucking organisation pointed the finger so many times at the NRL. And now they're having to turn around and say, oops, you know, remember that $120 million we were going to just put in the bank? Well, we've got to spend it on the content. and That we'd man. agreed to spend it on too. Yeah. Yeah. They've agreed to spend it on twice now in two different deals. You know, the one that was currently in place and the one that just negotiated with Peter Volandis after they got Greenberg ousted. Mm-hmm. And then they want to run NRL Digital. Can you imagine the, the shit that they would turn NRL Digital to? Uh, it would be hard. It really be hard. And you know what? It, like in 2020, where digital streaming is the... It's not the future, it's the now. Mm. Like... I mean, when the when the NRL season kicks back in, I will go back on to getting KO Sport. Uh, there'll be no, it won't be the old Foxtel box. I won't be watching Channel Nine at all. It'll be KO Sport that I'll watch it through. So it's all going to be streaming. Um, I watch all my NBA is streaming in in HD. That's where the, it's not the future. It's now. You know, there's how many kids don't uh, get the concept of sitting down and watching tv and then it stops so we can watch adverts about 
you know, some fuckwit cooking something for Coles for two minutes and, you know, where you can get your fucking alcohol at. It's the future is streaming and to have it set up and running and you've got this massive outlet to undermine that in any way would be the most disgusting thing I've ever seen an Australian Rugby League administrator do. Yeah, I I do worry that Vlandis is going to do what Nine wants. So do and I. It's only because this these last what month and a half, mm-hmm. he's shown a pretty good track record of of as I said on Twitter um, recently of kowtowing to what they wanted and just you know going down the knees and saying yes sir yes sir. Yeah. Um, you know, they we had James Hooper with his ignorant bullshit article. And I know Hooper works for News Limited, but that was about attacking um Todd Greenberg and the administration costs. Channel nine jumped onto that bad wing and went even harder on it, and then two weeks later Greenberg's gone. Channel nine then said, you know, the NRL's horrible money managers and we've been giving them money to help them out and we sh- we think that the the next ride still needs to be for a, a lower price. And next thing, Flanders has rushed through a, a new contract and it's reju- yeah, lengthened the lengthened the current deal for less money. So again, Nine's got what they wanted, and Flanders has helped deliver that. This just seems like the the holy trinity, I guess, for Channel Nine. I think the digital arms like tick tick tick, you beauty. And I've had a few people, I've been obviously, no surprise to you, I've been very critical of Landy's and all of this. Um, I've had a few people rightfully say that there are other members on the, you know, the ARL commission. How come they don't get any criticism? And it's true. They, they probably should get some criticism because, you know, they're on there as well. But Landy's is head of the board. So it should all be directed at him. And he's been pretty pretty prominent in being in the media and being front and center of this whole operation. And none of this stuff was, was a risk before he became chairman of the RLC. Yeah. And like, as soon as he got that chairman's role, he basically took, he took control of the game. Um, now we haven't even got a CEO at the NRL level. So it's all on Volandis at the moment. I mean, we've got a stand-in CEO, but like Volandis is the guy that is in charge now. And, you know, it, 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 I think you and me have mentioned the ARL board and, and where, what their role is in this. At this stage, you would have to say that they've taken a back seat to Volandis as everyone else has. But if, I mean, if we see NRL digital undermined, or it's funding cut or anything like that, it will have to go on the board members as well because they would. I can't imagine that they wouldn't have some role in signing off on that as a board. I mean, that would be a big decision. So, man, it's... Look, Rugby League has got more money in it now than it ever has before, and it's, like, it's fine. Like, I mean, these aren't things that are going to destroy the game, but... It's at a very critical moment of being able to have its true independence and giving up that independence. And it's going to be interesting to see where Peter Volandis decides to take it. If he is as strong and as good of an administrator as people are saying, 
Um, he will keep the game independent and he will make sure that it has its digital arm and he won't undermine that. If he keeps bowing down to the broadcasters, well, then he's just, you know, he, he it's just all bullshit and marketing in terms of what he, he people say about him. And now we're going to see. We're going to find out. And this is one of his big tests is NRL Digital. I think I dare say it's the first time that me and you have been like, one in the sand moment for Peter Volandis is NRL Digital. Is that is would that be true no, to you? Uh, absolutely. Some of the yeah. shit you can you can forgive and move on from, but this is something about the game's future. You know, not just you know, not just the website and and the value to fans, but also for the game itself and for revenue. Yeah. Um, can't be throwing that away, and generally worried that that could happen. So, if he wants to show that he's, um. An independent free thinker who has a spine, then he won't do what Channel Nine wants again. He'll hold firm and say, "No, we're not ditching the the digital arm." Now, you said a word there before bullshit, and it's um, it's made me go to the next item here, which is uh, an opinion piece by Peter Fitzsimons. Oh, this would be interesting. Shut so, it down. Shut it down. <laughs> he's asked the question. I'm going to ask you to answer it with, with alternative answers. Okay. He said, is there an industry more at risk of spreading COVID-19 than the NRL? I've got one. Yeah. <clears throat> a person that works at an aged care facility. That's true. Um, how about, hmm, what's another one? Man, it's hard to beat that, eh? What about uh, I don't know, I think that's that covers it for me. Well he's sitting here, not only are the codes players regularly forced into close contact with each other, they also have a history of struggling to follow guidelines. And this has been a common theme over the last week that NRL players are just all dickheads and they always break the rules mm. based on the fact that Latrell Mitchell Josh Adokar and Nathan Cleary, three, three players have done the wrong thing. And there was some absolute just gutter garbage, which came from Brisbane the other day, which showed two Broncos players having a chat in a park with, you know, one of the players' kids mm. saying, oh, the breaching rules and stuff like that. And going, what is this trash? And did you see why they were meeting? It was in a park or something, wasn't it? You know what it was because it was uh what's his name the young bloke that did his knee bird, oh, yeah. and and it was um Darius Boyd. The Broncos had set it up so that Darius Boyd could be a mentor for Bird because Bird's done his knee, mm. and they saw it as a mental health thing, and they they really hadn't said much about it until those pictures come out, and the Broncos were like, this was part of that program that they set up for Bird as a support network for him and having Darius has been a mentor for him during a tough time in his career. And mm. that's why they were meeting. It was all about that. Horrible NRL players. I know. Just, they can't even follow the guidelines. Yeah. I mean, the fact that what five players out of 480 odd, couldn't do the right thing. That's just a sign that the other 475 are all going to do the same thing, isn't it? That's what they're saying here. Um, 
you know, if if you think NRL players can can actually follow guidelines, you must not have TikTok because <laughs> TikTok videos just showed me that that shut it down, shut it down. We got to shut so it down, Andrew. I I had no, well I I had an answer. Okay. To this question by Peter Fitzsimons. Okay. Um, and I'd say rugby union because there's two more players on the field for each side. So there's four more players. Well, do you know that rugby union has a history of players being in close contact with one another and yeah, rolling a lot, around a lot in more the frequently? Mud. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. They roll around in the mud. They eye gouge one another. It, generally. So, yeah. Undercurrent of racism through the whole thing, but we won't talk about that right now. We won't go there. Um, no. Malcolm Knox. Um, he said, how can the NRL slam wayward stars? They are its ultimate ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I, we don't need to go anymore. We know that that's sarcasm. Um, yeah. Malcolm Knox, um, I think what's happened with him is someone who likes rugby league a long time ago ran over his dog. He's <laughs> held a fucking grudge ever since. Yeah, he's he's one of those. There's about two or three of them that uh, they they come out of their ivory tower and look down on the peasants, and then yeah. they they write an article and then they go through and they fill it out with their thesaurus, and they finish their article and they say, yes, that's another piece finished. Because they don't just write articles, they write pieces. Pieces of art too. He's yeah. Just a, he's just a bitter, sour old prick. That's all he is. Oh, uh, exactly. And you're not clever, Malcolm. You fuckwit. No. No, it's just crappy content, mate. We can all do that shit. Exactly. Um, corona cops to patrol NRL players as one warrior is not allowed to enter Australia. Corona cops. Fucking stupid. How fucking uh, stupid. That's that's mad. Let's 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 go with that, okay? So, how do you think these cops will work? Because I think it'll be first of all, I think they'll be in in vans that'll be high vis all over them, and when they drive around, it'll automatically inside of it, it'll be playing the theme to the bill. Remember the bill? It used to be on ABC. Oh yeah, yeah. It'll be like that, um, and then they'll jump out and it'll be like a SWAT team, but they won't have SWAT gear on. They're going to have their face masks on and their gloves, and they're going to knock on the door, and they're, they're going to, like, bust in and say, Corona Police! And they're going to just run in and swab the player that's supposed to be in isolation, and they'll put the little swab in the little jar thing and seal it up, and then they'll just run back out the house and into the car again and, you know, the bill comes back on and then they're off to the next player's house. So I think that's how it's going to work. That'd be the way to do it. Mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe it might be just a whole heap of um, displaced transit officers. <laughs> yeah, that, that aren't doing parking tickets. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they want to be police, but they're not good enough. So this could be yeah. what they're, this could be their calling. That's a really, that's, yeah, it might be that, <laughs> hey. That's Corona cops. Fuck it. Corona cops. They're so goofy. These goofballs <laughs> don't know how life works. That's the funny thing. Like, have you ever seen how journalists, they talk about how life works and they don't understand how normal human beings interact? And so they say things like, well, 
You know, when people go down to the pub and they're drinking after work and they're talking about politics and they don't understand. It's like, this is not how people fucking work, you idiot. You fucking <laughs> sociopathic prick. Uh, it, it's humorous to say the least. Mm. Now, one thing I'm going to throw in here, which I've just thought of um, mm-hmm. without warning. The Fox Sports team, they've been doing, they've been doing some lists. Oh, no. And it's um, the best players from each position in the NRL era, so since 1998. Okay. I love the NRL era because it's just so fucking random. Yeah. There's just no reason for it to be an era. It's not an era. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what you go to when you don't have any idea what happened to the game prior to the Super League War. Yes. It's what you do when you pretend that you're an expert but you don't actually fucking know anything about the yeah. game other than what you've been told by other people that don't really know much about the game. Exactly right. So they've got their, I think it's top eight okay. for each position. So at fullback, I'll go from eight down to one, okay? Okay. RTS. Wow. <laughs> oh, shit. There's got, there better be seven fucking good plays in your name next. <laughs> All right. So I knew this was going to be a good start. So the next one is um, Brett Stewart, then Jared Hayne, then Anthony Minicello, Darren Lockyer, Greg Inglis, James Tedesco, and then Billy Slater. And there's one glaring omission for mine, and that's Tim Brasher. Yeah, because Tim Brasher would have still made it. Um Hmm. I mean, RTS is way too low. He's just way too low. Way too low. Do you know there was apparently an article that said top, that, and I think it was eight, again, the top eight most under-pressured players in the NRL, and RTS was one of them. Oh, and it's like, what the fuck are they talking about? And that was a Telegraph article anyway. Um, oh. I think that RTS is better than Stuart. Um, there was I, don't another- me- I don't know how to Stuart and Hayne. Oh, yeah, Hayne. That was the other one. He's better than Hayne. 100% better than Hayne. Yeah. Um, man, you get towards the top of that list. It's it's a very, very good list. We've been very lucky with fullbacks. Oh, yeah. So who's next on here? Best wingers. All right. I'm learning these for the first time as well with you. So we've got uh, number eight, Blake Ferguson, and then Manu Vatavai, Adam McDougal, Matt Singh, Lottie Takiri, Wendell Saylor, Nathan Blacklock and Brett Morris. Hmm. Interesting to note that um, Israel Folau didn't get a mention. Yeah, I mean Folau. What about I mean Semi Radradra? It's yeah. hard to go past the impact. I know he didn't play for a long time, but damn, he he played well. What about uh, I mean Vunivalu's record is fantastic. Josh Adokar, he didn't get a mention. Yeah. Um, Pat Richards. <laughs> Have you seen his kickoffs, man? They're fucking game changers. They're insane. <laughs> um, best centres. Uh, I bet one of them's a commentator for the you know, for Fox Sports. <laughs> Let's see. Eight, Steve Maddai, Latrell Mitchell, Ryan Girdler, Mark Gaznia, Matt Gidley. Justin Hodges, there he is. Jamie Lyon and Greg Inglis. So Inglis is on two lists. 
That thing, and you know what? That's fair enough, to be honest. Yeah. Um, dear, would you, would to... you have Jamie Lyon as the second best centre in the game since 98? No, I couldn't. No, no, he wouldn't be the best, second best centre since '98. I'm just trying to think. Like, man, did did ET play in '98? Yeah, I think he played up till 2000, didn't he? Yeah, like here I'm asking you. I'm, I'm the bloody historian stats guy. Yeah, do I'm you, sure he played. Do you, sure do you job asshole? Yeah, he played up until 2000. Okay, so. I mean, first of all, to leave him out, and look, he wouldn't have been at his best the last couple of seasons, but damn, I mean, he he is one of those, like, he's not one of the greatest centres of all time, I, I think, and when I say greatest centres of all time, I'm talking like the top five of all time, but he is definitely in that tier that's below those guys, like... He was fantastic by, especially the second half of his career. Um, we talked, we talked about this, I think, in an episode we didn't record, how he became a defensive specialist and was just fantastic and his attack was unquestionable. Yeah. Um, trying to think, did, when did Renoff retire? Oh, that's a good one. I think he may have played until 2000 as well. I, I yeah, I feel like he played yeah. out our footy. He played 98, 99. Well, he's he scored mean, he's, twenty tries in twenty six games in ninety eight, and six games in ten tries in ninety nine, and then went over to uh, Wigan for two seasons and scored forty three tries in fifty nine games over there. I mean, he absolute try scoring freak. How about this? I was thinking about this the other day, and I know we've talked about him a little bit. Is Renoff the best centre you've seen in your lifetime? Oh, I jeez, I'm. It's diff- this is really difficult. I, like, he's, defi- he's definitely in the top three, without question. Who would be the others? Like I think Inglis is is right there. Renoff, I I still say Meninga. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to go with those three. Yeah. Um, again, as I said, Eddie Housen would be close. He'd probably be fourth. But I'd have. Def- he's definitely in the top three. Yeah. So I mean, so. I think you and me are willing to say Renoff should definitely be on that list. Definitely. I, I would I would have ET on that list. Mm. Um You know. How, how do you leave those two off? See this is the thing. This isn't really an NRL era thing. It's like, oh, it's just what I can remember from the last fucking ten years list. That's exactly. what these really are. Exactly. Um what's the next one here? Best halves pairing. Because I couldn't, five, yeah, I couldn't think of five eights and halfbacks. We just have yeah, two halves pairings. Hilarious. Um, so number seven is Munster and Cronk because they played thirteen games together. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> um, Boren and Cherry Evans. That one deserves to be there. Yeah, that should be there. Yeah. Benji Marshall and Scott Prince. Uh, mm. Let's be honest. They played. They didn't even play forty games together. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's kind of a. You I mean Benji? They, you know, as you nailed it early on, it's like they couldn't come up with the fucking individual decisions. What a joke! Yeah, um, Morgan and Thurston. Oh, no, I wouldn't the, say the Johns brothers. 
I mean, I would have probably had Andrew Johns and Sean Rudder because let's be honest, Andrew Johns carried both of those two players. Well, the, well, this is the thing. I mean, that's that that's the premiership win and halves combination in the NRL era that we're going with here. Um, I'm trying to think if Andrew Johns played alongside. Didn't he play alongside Jared Mullen for a little while? Ooh. I think he might have. I could be wrong, but I think he might have. And if he did, I mean, that's a... And look, it's all Joey. It's all it's all Joey Johns. But if he played alongside Jared Mullen, that's a pretty damn good halves pairing. Yeah, they would have played alongside each other for the last three seasons of Joey's career. Yeah, there you go. I mean, then... I would take that pairing, I think, over him and Rudder, and probably him and his brother, too. I mean, his brother's career tailed off pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, after that, we've got Kevin Malters and Alan Langer. Yep. And then at the top of the list is Luke Keery and Cooper Cronk. <laughs> That's fucking ridiculous. That's ridiculous. What oh, about... Yeah. Uh, didn't... didn't uh, Walters and Lockyer play as a halves pairing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, like that's a, that's on an all-time scale, Walters and Lockyer as a halves pairing. You put that alongside, th- that's going to be hard to beat. And I'm not <laughs> saying they're the best ever, but damn, they're in the conversation. Absolutely. Um, who else? Like, uh, did... Hmm... Let's see. How about... How about Campbell? This And this is going against, because I didn't rate Craig Gower that good. But Gower and Campbell was a pretty damn good halves combination. Yeah. I'm not saying that they belong on this list, but I think that you could consider them. Um, What other ones would there be that jump out? Fittler and Finch? 100%. Two or three grand finals in a row? Um, Who is the... What about uh, Scott Prince and Brett Morley? Oh, not Scott Prince. Um, What's his name? Ah, I can see his face. When Camorley was at which club? At the Storm. Oh, Scott Hill. Scott Hill, that's it. Ah, that's a good one. That's, how did they not pick that one? <laughs> that's What's a good one. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. God, they even played test football together. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty glaring well, this, this is a really easy list that we're coming up with really, like, just off the top of our heads. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, all right. Who we got next? Best hookers. Okay. Ennis at eight. Ooh. Josh Hodgson at seven. Damien uh, Cook at nah. six. Isaac Who? Luke at, at six? Who was at six? Damien Cook. Okay. Number five, Isaac Luke. Number four, Robbie Farah. Number three, Jeff Toovey. Number two, Danny Baderas. Number one, Cameron Smith. It's hard to argue with Smith at one. Yeah, you've got to go Smith at one. You've got to go Baderas at two, I think. Yeah. Um, 2v3. 
If we're just going after 98, mm. I don't know about that. Yeah. Don't mind Isaac Luke being in there. Yeah, Isaac Luke at his best was outstanding. Mm. And for um, quite a few years too. Yeah, yeah. He probably didn't have the longevity that you would have hoped he would have, but at his best, like he was, he reminded me a little bit of a Damien Cook in that at his best, he's, man, he's right there as, as one of the most damaging attacking players in the game. And yeah. he's a really good defender too. He, he really doesn't get enough credit for what he brought to South when they were at their best. Absolutely. I'm surprised Luke Prittis isn't on the list. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, Prudis was an outstanding player, very, very good defender. Um, you know, one of those players, a little bit like a Cameron Smith, like he, and you said this once before to me, and it really stuck with me. Cameron Smith isn't going to have this highlight reel of individual brilliant things that he's done, but his knowledge of the game and the way he reads the game and stuff, that's the thing that makes him great. And that's the thing that made Luke Prittis great. And you saw that in the grand final where there was only two people in the whole stadium thought he was going to go down the blind side, and that was him and Luke Rooney. Exactly. Um, and I thought even for a long time, even when he was playing, that Prittis was very underrated as a player. Yeah, look, when we got him, I... I knew that was one of those signings that was like, ooh, it was, uh, you know, there's some plays that you get at your club and you just know you've got a blue chipper. So, like, I tell you the other player that he kind of reminds me of, and it's not in his playing style or his position or anything, but just that you know you're getting winning to your club, um, Glenn Lazarus. Like, you, yeah. get him, you get him to your club and it's like, oh, man. That is a sign. And so, yeah, he was a bit like that when we got him. Absolutely. Um, I don't yeah. know who like... I'm trying to think. Sean Berrigan. Sean Berrigan, yeah. What about... Uh, he, he didn't have a huge long career, but, but someone like a Brad Drew, you know? Yeah, Craig um, Wing. Craig Wing, he was outstanding. Simon Benetti was pretty good. Yeah, he's a very solid player. Yeah. Um, yeah. Steve Walters also played in the NRL era. Oh, I mean, he's got to in there. He has to. He has to, yeah, with the North Queensland Cowboys. Yeah, phenomenal player. Yeah. Best hooker of the 90s. I, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And who else we got here? Oh, I'll say I'll go this one. I reckon the last one's going to be contentious, so we'll go with props next. Okay. The second last one. They haven't done second rollers. Okay. What do you mean they why. haven't done second rollers? They've got props and they've got locks. <laughs> Honestly, there you go. maybe maybe they've gone middle forwards. Middle <laughs> forwards. <laughs> you just want to slap every person that uses <sighs> it, man. Ah, oh, jeez. All right, so. I can't Prop. wait for the footy to start so we don't have to fucking deal with these dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> so, A, we've got Jabaria Hargraves. Seven what? is Jesse Bromwich. Six is Ruben Wiki. Five is Lazarus. Four is Matthew Scott. Three is Steve Price. Two is Shane Webke. And one is <gasps> Petro Sivanasiva. 
How dare they? <laughs> How dare they? Okay, so if you're just going on their performance in the NRL era, whatever the fuck that means, Webkey has to be number one. Do you Absolutely. agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm willing to even say Petro number two, just yeah, for his yeah. longevity. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I've got to put Lazarus at three. Yep. Um, Number four, man, Jesse Bromwich is not a bad pick. He's been a good player for a long time. Um, He has. I'm not even opposed to JWH being in there at eight. See, I kind of am with him because I think I've never considered him to be an elite front roller. Yeah, I I, I don't rate him as overrated. Mm -hmm. I think for me the last few years, he started to get back to being what you expect from a prop forward every week mm-hmm. like in, in his early, in his 20s. Mm-hmm. He could have been guilty of fading in and out of games a little bit or just not turning up one week every now and then. But I don't think that that's a common issue with him anymore. Maybe because he's not 30 anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Matty Jones. He's in the peak of his career now, he's 31. Yeah, he's finally hit there. Um, what other players would they have been missing in there? I mean, I would consider um, Paul Gallen to be a front rower. Well, he finished there, but I dare say he'll be in the locks. Yeah. The locks but that, like, if, if somebody said list the front rowers, and I feel, I mean, he could, he would be an English sort of thing for me that you could say front rower, back rower. Um, but I would consider him to be a front rower. And I think at his best, he was playing in the front row, to be honest. Yeah. Um, who else are they missing out there? Um, I mean, Tar- you know what? James Tarmo at his best was outstanding. Yes. When was that again? <laughs> it was back when he was a fucking cowboy before we paid him all the money to come to Penrith. <laughs> um, some other players, you know, and I- I'm just tossing up names here that jump out for me. Poor Ahihi was fantastic. Oh, God, I loved him. He was real good. Big man, too. Would you, would you say Willie Mason was a, a front rower or a second rower? No, I think he was, I think he was just as good in the front row. Yeah, because, I, I mean, him at his best, he was great. Um, would you put Brent Kite in there? Nathan oh, Kalis? Well, Nathan Kalis was another one I was thinking of. I mean, these reliable... I guess it depends what you're thinking you want out of a front row. So, for instance, you get someone like, say, a Steve Matai. Do you want a Steve Matai who brings you a lot of impact but maybe doesn't have the um, engine to go for that many minutes? Or do you want someone like a... And I'll go to the extreme end of the scale, someone like a James Graham who gives you a consistent effort over a longer period of time. And this is something that I've I've had arguments with people like, what would you rather? Would you rather 60 brilliant minutes or would you rather 80 pretty good minutes? Like, what would you rather? I think from a prop, I given that you're going to have two two on the bench, I'd, I'd be going with the 60 minutes of, of brilliance. I know I've always thought that as well. Give me, like, give me someone like... And that, that's what made Shane Webke so brilliant was that, um, you know, he gives you 100% and it's just the best prop in the world. And then you give him a rest on the bench and he comes back 
and he gives you the best prop in the world at the exact same level for the rest of the game. Yeah. That's what was his that's why he was the best in my opinion. And had a big uh, motor on him too. Like he could do good minutes. He was it's not the sort of player who'd do, do forty five, fifty minutes. He'd do an hour an hour each game. Yeah, yeah. And the his last run of the game could be his best run of the game and the run before that might have been the best run of the game and the run before that, you know, and he was just like a it was just like this unstoppable force. That's what made him so good. Oh, um, yeah. But, yeah, there's... Would you put, been, I was going to say, would you put Andrew Fafita in the list? He's got to be talked about. I mean, the things that he brings you, it's a, that's a different thing altogether with this... I mean, first of all, his endurance is, is like a superpower. He, I mean, he shouldn't be able to play the way he plays. Um, and I'm talking about him at his best. Because mm. at his best, he could he could pay out, play eighty minutes for you in some miracle, you know. His the, offloading was great. The thing that's remarkable about him, and mm-hmm. people are, people are going to take this the wrong way, but he is such a unique player as far as the front row goes in the modern game that he stands out the same way. And I'm not saying he's like this player. But he stands out in the same way that Arthur Beeson stood out when he came onto the scene in the fact that the skills, you just look at him and go, how does a player that big do that? Mm-hmm. You know, he does that thing where he can drift across field like a 5'8 and just palm a ball off somewhere. You're just going, that's not what his job should be. Yet yeah. he can do it and do it successfully. Um, he's not, he's not in the same ballpark as, as Beeson, let's be honest. But the fact that he's got that, that unique skill set that mm-hmm. pretty much no other prop forward's got. Mm. Not not all of it anyway. Um, it just makes him stand out that little bit. And so, I don't know, I think because of that and the fact that he can, he's a genuine prop with X Factor who can change a game, mm-hmm. I, I've definitely got to put him in the list somewhere. Look, there was a point there with New South Wales where for us to win, he it was he was going to be the difference. And I think that the frustrating thing about Fafita was that he would have these games where he you, he literally could not be stopped. Like, you could try your best and stuff. He was going to come up with these. And it was weird. It was like skill and power and mm. endurance. And he just would rip teams apart. But then he'd also have games where he was really quiet. And look, it, it's, you know, it, Fafita in a quiet game, is still one of the better front rowers in the game. But when you know he can completely end an opposition team with what he can do, you want that all the time. And maybe you can't get that all the time unless you are literally an all-time great. But, you, you, oh, man, if he could just do it more often, you, I mean, he would be in the top, I would say the top three, yeah. you know, maybe the top, at least the top four. Yeah, uh, the, the skill set he has is freakish. Mm. Um, another player with a similar similar freakish skill set would have been someone like Dave Taylor, but he just lacked the drive to want to play yeah. football. Yeah, unfortunately. I tell you what, uh, this is going to be a funny one. For a very short period of time, he was on the juice, Rodney Howe. He was <laughs> unstoppable. He was. He had. He literally had beast mode in his veins. He really did. Anybody <laughs> that thinks that steroids 
do not work. Just go and watch Rodney Howe before he got banned. He was, he went from being like, oh yeah, you know, solid, you know, does, does a job to, oh my God, this guy is a wrecking ball back to being like, oh yeah, Rodney Howe. Remember him? Yeah. He was, I mean, he was a literal wrecking ball. It was incredible. Yeah. He was amazing. I'll tell you another one. And, and you know, we talked about him earlier. You've got to, Think about someone like a um, an Adrian Morley. He'd have to be in the conversation. I I tend to look at um, I tend to look at Sam Burgess more as a front rower than a second rower. Yes, I think so too. Yeah, um, I'm not crazy in thinking that. Nah, okay. uh, I would have Nathan Kalis in there too. Yeah, I would talk about Nathan Kalis. Um, if, if for one reason, because he's the only prop since 1998 to kick a field goal. <laughs> There's a fact for you people. Yeah, All that's right. a good one. Last one, locks. Locks, and this counts for locks and second rowers. Well, I'm assuming, I don't know, they haven't done a second rowers one yet. Maybe that's let's tomorrow. Just call, let's just call them back rowers. Okay. Uh, eight, Jake Trevojevich. Seven, Luke Rickardson. Uh-huh. Six, Ben Kennedy. Five, oh. Corey Parker. No, what the fuck? No way. Four, Bradley Clyde. Three, Paul Gallon. Are you sitting down? Yeah. Okay. Two, Jason Tormalolo. Fuck off. Who do you reckon they've got as number one? Uh, oh, um, oh, man. Who the fuck? I don't know. Did God play? Did I miss God playing? Because if he's better than Tal Malolo. I'll, I'll give you a clue. He wasn't born in the Southern Hemisphere. What? They haven't Sam put Burgess. Burgess. No way. They're fucking off their heads. That is dumb. That's so dumb. Why would they be so dumb, Andrew? Um, Says he... Jason Tormelow is closing in hard, but for now, Burgess deserves top spot for his toughness and dedication to rugby league over the course of his leading career. This is a bloke who was so dedicated to rugby league, he went and played rugby union in the middle of his rugby league career. Fucking went. He left. (laughs) 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 He left. How can I say he was dedicated? He literally left. He walked out halfway through his fucking contract. (laughs) Ah. Fuck me. Seriously, are we being too harsh here, or is this done some dumb shit? I'm rating Tormalolo and Gallon ahead of Burgess. I would rate Tormalolo ahead of him. I would rate Gallon as a back rower ahead of him. Um, I would take, uh, you know, I would would well, Glenn Stewart, who's not on the list. You know what? Trebojevic, I'd take ahead of... If you're looking at a whole career, taking Trebojevic ahead of Sam Burgess. Yeah. Um, If you're looking at peak performance, to wear a nick out. Oh, yeah. To wear a nick out at his best was... You just got to look at that Storm Grand Final. He should have won that Clive Churchill medal. He was... uh, He was just like possessed. It was incredible. Maybe one of the best grand final performances I've ever seen. Absolutely. I think Ben Kennedy was a pretty good player, but overrated. 
Um, what, what about Chris Hyington? <laughs> well, he's one of England's best. Um, <laughs> uh, Steve, Steve Menzies? Yeah, yeah, because we're looking at back rows. Yeah, I keep on just thinking of locks. I mean, you, you, when you, if you're we're looking at back rows, you got to say Menzies. Uh, you got to say you got to look at a um, Gordon Tallis. Trent Merrin. I see. I think Trent Merrin's overrated. Has been overrated. I'm, I'm just throwing names at you here. Uh, yeah. Trent Waterhouse. At his best, he was very good. Did Ian Roberts was NRL era, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Ooh. He played for the Cowboys. Oh, I'll have a look. He'd be close. Yeah. Not, he only played one season in 98. Okay. Man, when he grabbed... I've talk, talk, talked about when he grabbed a Wendell Sailor, haven't I? Yeah. Yeah, God, I loved seeing that. was so funny seeing that. I would love to hear Wendell Saylor talking about that, actually. I think it would be really funny because Wendell knew he fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What are the roles? Brad Thorne, I think you've got to talk about him. What about Mark Geyer? Mark Geyer, that's another one. You know who we missed out from the forward? The props was uh, Paul Harrigan. Yeah. Tony Butterfield. Yeah, Harrigan played two years. What other back rollers? Tony, yeah, Butterfield played the first three years. Yep. There you go. Well, look. There you go, Fox Sports. Once again, we're doing your work for you. Yeah. They should employ both of us, eh? Like, just say they employed you and me, okay? Mm-hmm. We give podcasts. You're a, you're literally the number one rugby league historian in Australia by a long, long way, right? <laughs> and then you are also a statistician, okay? I, I, I can do, I can do all of those, like, you know, those left field articles. You do those historical articles. We're just between us. We just give everything. Well, yeah, we were the ultimate, the ultimate unit. Pretty much, yeah. That's what she said. <laughs> hey, you're the SEO king. I I will honestly take that on board because I am definitely. Yeah. I've got like I'm like the rain man for SEO. Hey. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Just have a look at some of the um episode descriptions and titles of our podcast episodes. Yeah. SEO genius. It is just something to be oh. That's one yeah. thing I've always been good at, the headlines and SEO stuff. That's why it's funny when you get an email from some bloody company in India saying, oh, we'll do some SEO for your website. It's like, please, go and, go and look up Americans are laughing at Josh Dugan's fucked up tattoo and see what comes up first. All right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's a search string I'm sure it's had tons of hits really that was maybe I think that was my first article that I wrote that I would suggest was a viral hit I feel like that's my first viral one phenomenal phenomenal Um, yeah now Mm -hmm. have we had any emails we've had some 
emails from our listeners, our wonderful listeners. Um, nothing about the cure to coronavirus, unfortunately. Um, that would have been really cool, but that didn't happen. No. So let me go through and find, because there's been a few of them, and I don't want to miss out, because they go back a, a little bit of a way. Uh, not that one. Here's one. Uh, oh, we did that one. So Okay, so now I can scroll up. I didn't, as you can tell, I didn't get uh we're not logo design okay here we go we've got one here from uh oh that's one i got to talk to you about later on (laughs) okay so here's one from uh patrick and patrick said um I thought the NRL had no assets and just blew all their money away. And then he sent the article nine eyes NRL digital arm in new TV deal. Um, he said the NRL could be set. Oh yeah. He, that's the headline for that. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, um, Patrick sent us that email because I, I don't want people to think that we don't read the emails, you know, um, we, we read every single one. We might not reply back to you, but we try and read it online, uh, on the air. Sorry. We got one here from Jeremy and he said, Hey, hey guys, enjoy, enjoy listening to the podcast and am emailing as I have a question regarding the immortals. Oh. Correct me. Mm, I know. I eh? correct me if I am wrong, but from it mentioned by Fergo, his belief is that there should be a maximum of two immortals inducted per decade to maintain yep. the exclusivity of the immortals. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that was an idea I had. Okay. He says, in that case, if the two of you were able to restart the immortals concept and choose a maximum of two per decade, who would be the two? Um, that you would pick for every decade from 1908 to 2008, as according to the two of you, there should be a 10-year wait even before considering who should be picked as the next immortal. So as a result of the players who have been retired by the end of 2018, e.g. Darren Locker and Jonathan Thurston, who would be my picks to be inducted as immortals in 2008, according to your guidelines. So he'd pick Thurston and Lockyer. Anyway, stay safe in these uncertain times and continue the good work that the two of you are doing because the mainstream media ain't doing any good. So thank you for that, Jeremy. That's a very nice email and a really good one too. Yeah, well, I did put out my list of who I thought should be the immortals, but I wrote them out again here now. So from 1900 to 1909, I had Danny Messenger and Arthur Halloway. Mm -hmm. In 1910 to 1919, I've got Frank Burge and Duncan Thompson. Yeah. Uh, 1920 to 29, Harold Horter and Jimmy Craig. 1930 to 39, Dave Brown and Herb Steinort. Uh, in the 40s, Clive Churchill and Duncan Hall. The 50s, Reg Gasney and Norm Proven. 60s, Langlands and Raper. 70s, Fulton and Ken Irvine. 80s, Wally Lewis and Arthur Beetson. 90s, Mal Meninga and Peter Sterling. And 2000s, I've got Andrew Johns and Brad Fittler. And that opens up 2010 to 20. 19, yeah. which my plan was you would be looking at those for 2010 to 2019. You'd be looking at those in 2030. So you, you put down your, um, your two inductees. Yeah. 10 years after they've retired. Yeah. Or so or something like that. No, it was going to be 
Yeah, Pi must retire yeah, for at least ten years and be in the Hall of Fame before they can be nominated for immortal status. So yeah. you'd be nominating the twenty ten to twenty nineteen um inductees in the year twenty thirty. Yeah. And so on and so forth. That and way I they've think... had they've had that time for you to assess their their dynasty, the legacy, the sort of thing and go from there. It does mean though that the twenty ten to twenty nineteen one's probably going to include Darren Lockyer and it's going to be one of Thurston, Smith, Slater, Inglis, you know, those guys there. But two of those can come into the next the next one as well if they've played after 2020, which Cameron Smith will have. So he can go in the next batch after. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where it's at. But that was just – think off the top of my head. I mean, obviously, Fittler and Sterling are two that you could probably – you know, you could probably drop Sterling and put Fittler there. You could probably put Laurie Daly there. Um, Tim Brasher. <laughs> Tim Brasher. Um, but yeah, the more recent ones are going to be more contentious. People aren't going to argue too much with some from the past because that's mm. going on what historians tell you, so to speak. But I have in that list, I've included every single player that's currently an immortal as well. Oh, okay. okay. And, and now, my, was that something you made sure you did, or...? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, because I, I, I'm not opposed to the players they've got there as immortals. Okay. With the exception of Meninga and Johns, but only because at the time I thought it was too soon to be inducting them in there. Not because yep. I didn't think they deserve it. Yeah, yeah, I get Yeah, that. as I said, I, I, I want to see a legacy before someone gets promoted to that sort of thing. I, I hate the fact that you hear people talking about... Cooper Croc's going to be the next immortal, or you know, Cameron Smith. As obvious as Cameron Smith is probably going to end up being immortal, I don't want to see talk about that now. I want to, I want to be talking about that in 10, 15 years' time. Yeah, and I, I, I am sort of, I agree with you on all of that. And I remember when you talked about the ten-year, um, you know, they had to be retired basically for ten years before we even look at it. And it is a long time; it's a very long time, but. I think that it is also the right amount of time and it, you know, this, and just to tonight, we've talked about a lot of great players who we've brought up names who are very, very good players, but it's the, the players that you start to think about, are they an immortal? They're the ones that their legacies continue on and they jump out at you. And some players that happens with other players, they, sort of miss the cut, you know, and yeah. that, but that's the point. And when you get to this level too, and we've talked about this before, you are nitpicking, you know, you are trying to look for holes in careers that everything was achieved in. Um, You know, I, I think you and me agree that Cooper Cronk is not an immortal level player by any stretch of the imagination. No. But this is the thing is when you start talking to mortals and you start dismissing players, people think, oh, you must think that was shit and go, no, 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 no. Not at all, yeah. We are discussing the absolute cream of the crop and which is at the very top of that crop. Yeah. Yeah, you're trying, you're trying to, you know, you actually are trying to find the, that needle in the haystack. It's, yeah. It's hard like, work to do. Like the very, very, very best of all time. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think. Cronk is oh, he wouldn't even be in the conversation for me. No. Um, That's the thing. I, I remember putting this out on Twitter when was it 2018 when five players were inducted as immortals. 
Mm-hmm. And I was saying how I thought it was a great idea because you're starting to get players who deserve the honour from pre-war being inducted. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people arguing with me saying, oh, it's too many in one go, it's cheapened the, the whole thing. And when I put out the fact that, you know, there should be two every decade like this, um, people were saying, oh, it's, there's too many players. And I went, how's, how's that possible? And when I did the numbers, my system means that less than a quarter of a percent, a quarter of 1%, less than that, yeah. are, are made immortals of all players since 1908. Wow. How is that too many? Yeah, and that like that should be the levels you're trying to hit, you know. That should be the uh, – that's unbelievable. I, weren't you also the person that uh, when people saying that it was being cheapened, and I think it was you that said, do you realise that the Immortals were started to sell port? Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And the NRL's actually given it some legitimacy since then. It's not a marketing thing anymore to sell bloody alcohol. Yeah. We're actually now properly – recognizing past great players yeah and when you when you do it from when we could watch them on tv as in you know post-war you're cutting out five decades of absolute legends of the game that's just that's just gross it really is and i never understood that and i you know bringing them back in it was just i mean it had to happen and like the thing is too, it was cutting out, it was cutting out like absolute, some of the best players ever. And like not just in their eras, ever. It was silly. It was so silly. Yeah. I mean, people obviously know that I've spoken a lot about Duncan Thompson. Okay. They need to realize that it wasn't until Andrew Johns came along that the end of every decade, a lot of media organisations would do this thing where they'd name the greatest team of Australian Rugby League players of all time. And every year up until 1990, Duncan Thompson was the halfback. Mm. I can't believe that's been forgotten. And it wasn't until Andrew Johns came along that he got the gong in 2000, 2010, so on and so forth. But Duncan Thompson was still regarded as better than Peter Sterling, who a lot of people like to push. And rightfully so. Sterling was a phenomenal player. But it just shows you the legacy that Thompson had, that he was still regarded better than better than Sterling when Sterling was still playing mm-hmm. in 1990. Mm-hmm. And so, that, it, like... That's a, just a hell of a legacy. Yeah, and there's not many people like that that have played the game where... I mean, Frank Burge is another one of those players where it's like... When when somebody says Frank Burge, you just shut up. That's it. It's like, oh yeah, Frank Burge. Like he th- it took until ish- Steve Menzies come along before we got to see someone like Frank Burge. Yeah, that was like, oh, this is maybe what it kind of looked like. Yeah, you know, seven, and, seventy years. Yeah, it was, it was. It's unbelievable. That's why I rate Steve Menzies so highly. You know, um, the the fact that that he he was the he's and he still is he's been the only player where you could look at it and be like man that's kind of what Frank Burge would have been like this mm. doesn't even make sense looking at it now you know um, and everyone knows that, that Steve Menzies was a phenomenal try scorer yeah Frank Burge was ten times the try scorer that Steve Menzies was oh yeah, that's yeah. the thing people got to put in their heads is you know 
We thought Menzies was good, and he was. But Birch was so much better. Yeah. And it's there's just so many players there. Jimmy Craig's another one. I'm, I'm planning on doing a, a profile piece on him shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, phenomenal player. Everywhere he went, success followed him. Mm-hmm. Like he went to Queensland when rugby, rugby league was struggling up there, and he helped make Queensland the dominant state you know, in the 20s, early, into the early 30s. Mm-hmm. New South Wales couldn't beat him after absolutely flogging them throughout 1908 through to 1919. That whole period there, Queensland couldn't lay a finger on New South Wales. And then all of a sudden, Jimmy Craig goes up there, a few good players start playing the game, and bam, Queensland's got this massive boom going on. And then he comes back and he plays for Western Suburbs, gets in their first premiership. You know, just everywhere he went, success followed him. Mm-hmm. That's not a fluke. Um, just phenomenal players like that. And they just, there's a few Queenslanders that I've listed in there prior to the 70s mm-hmm. that have long been forgotten because they didn't play in Sydney and they really need to be remembered and put, put in there. Um, as I said, Duncan Thompson, Jimmy Craig, Herb Steinort, um, those, those three. Yeah. Huge, huge players up there in Queensland. So, yeah, that's that's how I'd have it. Obviously, I'm open to having a debate about the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010 ones. Yeah. Uh, I was just, for the, for the 90s and 2000s, I was just stringing together a few names as examples of who who would be in the conversation there. Yeah. And Obviously, from, you can go from anywhere you want. It was like just off the cuff too. I like, yeah. Yeah. And that's what I kind of wanted to go with, which just plays instantly came to my mind because they, they're at the front of your mind for a reason. Yes, and it's interesting because some the only one that really stood out for me there that I like I I don't think Peter Sterling's an immortal, and I'm not no. saying he's not a great player. It's no. like, but that's the thing. You could probably ditch him and put Andrew Johns alongside Malmeninga for the two immortals from the nineties. And that leaves you four players from 2000 to 2019 to put in there, which would be probably Lockyer, Cameron Smith, pick two more. Well, well, here's a question for you. If Let's just go the last 10 years and break the rule. If you had to pick one player that was an immortal in the last 10 years, who would it be? Cameron Smith. Not Greg Inglis? No. Man, like I tend to, I think I think Cameron Smith's the best hooker in the history of the game, and I think that, uh, and if if he keeps if he plays two more seasons, it's not even going to be close. Like his achievements are ridiculous, and what he has done in big games is ridiculous. Like you just can't argue with it on any level. Um. But man, Greg Inglis. I mean, like Greg Inglis is, uh, and I, I don't know. Maybe I rate Greg Inglis higher than other people. I might rate him higher than you do. I don't know. But that, like, a dude that was the best fullback and the best centre, and possibly for, and it wasn't for very long, but the number one five eighth in the game, and who won premierships at two different clubs, and he. Or Clive Churchill's medal when South Sydney won a premiership again. There's just so many, and like what he did for Queensland was ridiculous. The devastation he, he, you know, 
just did yeah. at international level. There's something about that. I feel like he has the achieve a lot of the achievements of Smith, but he also has that level of like, oh my god, this guy is just on another level to everyone physically, as as well as the skill level on top of that as well. Yeah, look, there's I mean, there's another player I'd throw into that same sort of um, category, and it's Benji Marshall, but I didn't throw him up either, and that's. That's defying my own bias because I love Benji as a player. Um, no, look, I look, I agree. I and this another, is another player. It's the immortals, uh, you know, man. <laughs> other players that I've missed out on: uh, mm-hmm. Lazarus and Webke. Yeah, and skip that, over those. That's the thing, and that that's what we're talking about when we get to this level of the immortals. Like everything I said earlier about uh, Webke, for instance. But who do you who do you leave out? Mm. Like, okay, and he's the hard part's always going to be too is that forwards don't tend to get mentioned too often in the modern day. Yeah, as immortals, it's always halves, always halves. Um, he, sometimes you get a few backs, but it's mostly always going to be halves. Okay, here's a question for you, and this is the beauty of picking immortals because. None of the choices are wonderful. <laughs> like, yeah, and you're having to strike players off your list that are like the best players of all time, you know. Mm. If you had to choose between Cameron Smith in the last 10 years and Jason Taumalolo, who do you pick? See, this is the thing. And this is what makes it tricky, yeah. is it? You could save Tomololo for the 2020 to 2029 nominations. Mm-hmm. Do you take that risk? That's why I think it's good to have that 10 year wait. Yeah, you're right. Um, because I'd almost certainly have him in the conversation for the 2010 to 2019 and the 2020 to 2029 ones. And he's yeah, going to be in the yeah. conversation for both. He's in his, in the peak of his career across both of them. So he, he is, yeah. It, that's where it gets interesting, and, as, and that's the thing too. Cameron Smith's playing in this decade; they don't have to be at their peak for each decade. That's the other thing I got there too. They just had to have played at least one game in it. Yeah, and it's so interesting. That, that helped. That helped to get more of the best players in there as possible. But you, you know what I love about these talks about the immortals and like. You know, you're choosing so few players and you're sort kind of thinking of like, who was the best, who won the most, who achieved the most. You're lying all of these things on top of one another. Who had the biggest impact, who changed the game, all these different things. And when you and me talk about it and we'll like, we'll chuck players up and like, we have to, you really have to stop and think because there's just so many players and that, that really should be what the Immortals are about. I also wouldn't be against, and this is the only the only thing I have against. You have to pick pl- like two players from each decade. Sometimes I think you have golden eras where you get more than those two players in a decade, and then I think some decades you could skip. And That's it's true. not there's not many, but I think there's some points where you could like I could I could make a really good argument that in nine, the eighties. I could just go with uh, Wally Lewis. Yeah. This is, though, 
the reason why I said that you don't have to be at your peak in each decade. You only have to have played at least one game in it. Mm-hmm. Because it means that if you've got any sort of crossover, it can make up for a weak decade because you have one player who may have played three games in 1989 but had an absolutely splendid 90s. Mm-hmm. Bang, you can put them in the 80s and then you can have two other players from the 90s who are also standouts. And, you know, you've managed to get three great players from the 90s in the Immortals list. Yeah. So that's it's kind of a loophole, but it's one that ensures that the absolute best of the best all get in there. Yeah. Look, I, and, I like and that, your and that way, and that way you're not picking someone as a token gesture because you need to have two and there wasn't much to choose from. Yeah, you actually are getting the absolute cream of the crop. The system, the thing about your system is that it, it also covers an area that uh, I think is important, and I know you you think is important as well, and that is that these players need to represent the entire history of the game. Exactly, and. I'm, I said it before, and I'm, I'm big on the legacy of a player. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to, to sum up what the legacy is, but the way I look at it is if, if there's a player who, it's the one person you always talk about, you know, they're the best in the world while they're playing. But within three or four years after they've finished, you barely hear about them anymore. Mm-hmm. To me, that says their legacy is not that strong. Not, not saying they weren't great players, but they didn't have that long-lasting impact on the game. Mm-hmm. You still hear players today, you know, he's the next Wally Lewis, he's the next Brad Fittler, he's the next Andrew Johns. Those people, they get compared to those because those guys have got a good, they've got that legacy. Mm-hmm. We haven't had anyone come along and he's been regarded as the next Jonathan Thurston or the next Cooper Cronk, you know. And so it's because of that. That's, that's part of, you know, sometimes the whole league thing is a bit of a feel thing. But you need to have something like that. Um, other times it can be factual, like the Duncan Thompson one. You know, he was considered the best halfback up until the up until 1990 of all time in Australia. But also because he helped Wayne Bennett become a coach. Mm-hmm. So a lot of Wayne Bennett's game plans and what he does as a coach comes from Duncan Thompson, and that is still involved in the game today. Might even be five percent or two percent of whatever. Wayne Bennett does, but the fact is Duncan Thompson's um, ideas and the way he saw the game and how it should be played is still being seen in the game today through Wayne Bennett. That's so, a hell of a legacy. Okay, so, and I look, I agree with you on all of that. I think that, and I, I guess the thing that, that that gets pushed aside for sometimes, the legacy part, which I think is actually really important like you do, is because it's it's hard to quantify that. It's hard to explain that. It's it hard to, you know, it's hard to sit down in a room and when somebody says, like, but, but why Wally Lewis? Oh, he didn't even win a premiership in the New South Wales Rugby League. And it's at some point you've got to be like, you had to see it. You had yeah. to see this man that decided to take on a, the strongest rugby league state that had ever been and said no. And then dominated them, and it didn't matter what they did to try and stop him. He said no and kept dominating. And there's something to that. And so here's my question to you: off that means off-field stuff matters. And if off-field stuff matters, do you take into account player behaviour? No, 
I, I don't think off-field stuff matters that much. For me, mm-hmm. if I'm talking about immortals, um, I'm only talking about what they did on the field. Okay. If we're talking about off-field stuff, then you're looking at a whole different range of players. You know, you're then sort of saying, okay, Ken Arthurson needs to be involved in the discussion then. Because, well, it, you know, he, his work as an administrator and stuff like that. And I don't think you should ever be his, there. Isn't that part of a legacy, though? Yeah, but we're talking about, you know, the Immortals is about the best players. Okay, but let, let's look at it this way, right? And I hope this is a fun discussion to listen to for people. This is how me and Andrew talk when we're not recording, basically. Yeah. Okay, so we talked about Steve Renoff earlier, okay? Mm-hmm. And, I, like, I, he's probably the... You know, he's at least top three best centre I've ever seen, maybe the best centre, you know. Um, you line him up against Mal Meninga. Now, I I would say this. I don't think Renoff is an immortal. I'm not saying he wasn't brilliant, but I don't think he's an immortal. But I, I, I would personally say that Mal Meninga is an immortal. Now, do you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. Doesn't the fact that Mal Meninga did things like he was in four kangaroo tours, um, was the Australian captain for so long, was the New uh, Queensland captain for so long, um, but also the fact that he captained Queen, uh, he coached Queensland to all those victories, isn't that part of his legacy? And no, is it, I don't. I don't look at what he does as a coach. Okay. Because like I'm, I'm, I only talk about their football career as a player. That's it. And that's fair enough. And look, I think that's the way it should be too. But it's hard to forget those things as well. Like it's you true. Look at, you look but again, at someone... but again, and sorry to cut you off, but again, if you go down that path, then yeah. you've got to throw in Wayne Bennett and Jack Gibson as immortals. And their playing career doesn't stack up to deserving immortal status as a player. And that's why you've got to have this very clear definition of what you're doing. So the Immortals yeah. is has to be players only. There was talk within, and I know this because I was involved in it for a little while, there was talk within the NRL for a while they were going to have Immortals and they were going to be a separate lot, but they were going to be, you know, one lot was going to be coaches, another one was going to be administrators. Yeah. And they weren't going to be many. Like there might have been five all up, but they were going to do like one every decade. Yeah. And so you'd have like, Harry Sunderland to be in there. Um, James Giltonen. Mm-hmm. Ken Arthurson probably would have been in there. But, you know, it's that would have been one group. Um, coaches, obviously, you'd have Gibson, Bennett, um, and the likes. And so that way he'd recognise those who were elite that mm-hmm. were not players as well. You know, or they weren't elite players. It's hard to say Wayne Bennett was an elite player. He did go on a kangaroo tour with, with Australia to New Zealand. Yeah. So he wasn't he wasn't exactly shit. A lot of people yeah. think that he was just an average footballer. No, he did wear this green and gold. So, but you know, it's that was kind of because the because that conversation has existed. Mm-hmm. It shows that the even within the NRL that they see that the Immortals is purely players only, mm-hmm. and purely only their playing careers. There was debate at the time because when I was involved in this, it was before just before Andrew Johns got inducted in there. Mm-hmm. And they were debating then, some of the former players were debating that John shouldn't be included because of his off-field indiscretions. <coughs> Excuse me. No, we're, we're not 
we're not awarding players immortality based on how much of a clean skin they were. Right. There's a few players who have, who would have in the past played up a bit themselves, but because the media wasn't as um, thorough in trying to find, you know, dirty dirty laundry and stuff like that in the closets of players from in the past, mm-hmm. we don't know about them. Yeah. Classic example, Johnny Roper and the, the man in the bowler hat story, if you don't know about it, when he was on the kangaroo tour, he might, I think it was a bet he made with a, with a fellow teammate, and whoever lost the bet had to run through some street in England in the middle of winter wearing nothing but a bowler hat. And the rumour of the story was that Johnny Roper lost the bet. And so he was streaking down the main street in some, some northern English town wearing a bowler hat to cover, I don't know if he wore it on his head or covered his genitals, but that was the story. Several years, well, might have even been a decade or two later, when he wanted to become a test selector, he figured, I need to get this story out, I need to get this skeleton out of the closet, so to speak. So he, the story came out that it was actually his teammate, Dennis Mantiat, who, who was the man in the bowl hat, and it wasn't Johnny Raper. And so it just goes to show that back then, if, if there was a bad story, it only got revealed when the player decided to reveal it. It wasn't because the media wanted the world to know about it. Yeah. Nowadays, it's the other way around. A player can't hide a story like that because the media's all over them. They're trying to find it anyway. So if you start bringing in off-field misconduct, you, there's no way of knowing what players of the past got up to because it wasn't reported on. And so it's yeah. hard to judge everyone on the same way in that way. So you can only go on what happened on the field. You've got to try to make sure that the, the judging system is consistent from 1908 to 2020. Yeah. And the only way you can do that is what happened on the field. And that's it. That's true. I, I've just got one last thing to say, right? Sure. If, uh, <laughs> I should have just said everything you said was wrong. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. If we were to, if you were to do the immortals, right? Mm-hmm. And you took into account their playing career and their 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 off field legacy afterwards. And I think if you did that, you would have to. I mean, you're you've got maybe a twenty year period, and that's being really, really that's kind of fine to when you would be inducting these players. It it would change the mortals. I think it would keep the the list very small. Um, but then you, I mean, there are some of the game's great players who probably people don't understand the stuff they did when, after they retired, like, uh, like people probably don't understand like what Clive Churchill was doing after he retired. It was unbelievable what he did for South after he retired. Um, Mal Meninga is another great example of like this great player who, you know, he retires and you can say what you want. He has all of those t- trophies that, you know, if for Queensland and now he's coaching Australia. And I've got to say the job he's doing as the Australian coach is, I think, the best job I've seen from an Australian coach overall with understanding the role and, and even winning um, that I've seen maybe since Bob Fulton was the Australian coach. I think he did it right as well. Um, it would change the concept in a big way, but mm-hmm. it makes me wonder if we would get an, a list of immortals that might be smaller, but that still have that 
that legacy element that maybe that might be the most important thing overall it's it's an interesting one i agree with you though it needs to just be what they did in their playing days i think if you were to do that it would change it i think you'd find wayne bennett would end up on the list um because he did play for australia mm-hmm. so you know he was a decent enough player and his coaching record is untouched mm. it would also mean that players like or coaches like craig bellamy would have to be considered yeah, you'd have, I mean, that's what I was thinking. I, I guess Bellamy comes into it. Trent you Robinson. Oh, you reckon Trent Robinson? See, I, I don't put Robinson in the same class as Bellamy. Like in short, when you look at short term, I do, right? But I think long term, I, I look at what Craig Bellamy's done and it's, I mean, I think Craig Bellamy might very well be the best coach of all time. He's definitely in that, that realm. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, Arthur Halloway should have been probably the first person to be inducted, given that he's got 10 premierships as a player and as a coach. Yeah, exactly. More than and, anyone and, else. More than yeah. anyone else. And no one knows about that. That's why I had him as one of the first two. Like, him, him and Messenger as the first two. And do you then add, like, I mean, you would obviously have, uh, and as a player, he deserves it anyway, but... Like the stuff that Dally Messenger did would be laid on top of his playing career as well. Like I don't think people realise that Mess- Messenger knew what his job was when he came across to the rugby league, and he wrung every single bit of athleticism out of his body that he could. You know, literally. Um, I mean, people should know he played 43 games of rugby league before he made his club debut in 1908. Yeah. Uh, extraordinary, extraordinary. Insane. And people a, don't, I don't think people realise that, Andrew. I reckon there's less than 100 people understand, understand that about him, that he was like, he was all in. He was all in. Yeah. Like, he played something like 60 or 70 games all up in his career, and only five or six of them were actually for East in first grade. Mm. The rest of the rep games, he played for... Um, the Metropolitan team in Sydney, then he played for Queensland, New South Wales, um, New Zealand, Australia. Just every rep team that was available, he was in it. Didn't matter where they were playing, he was in it. Um, and got, you know, travelled around so much. Two tours to England in consecutive years. That was when it was by boat. It was about eight weeks each way. Think about that. 32 weeks out of 104 were spent on a boat going to going to and coming from England. Yeah, just on the boat. Can you? I like. I can't even imagine. It's insane. Like how, and, and then gets off the boat, and has got to perform athletically. Just that alone, and didn't yeah. just perform athletically. Was still like one of the stars, and was the person that everything was. Like, can you imagine the pressure it would have been, knowing that that like this whole thing. It was there was a lot of it was based on man they're turning up to see you play. Yeah, and the whole thing was focused on him. I mean, after the the second tour to New Zealand, I uh, said England when he came back in 1909, he just said I've got to take a break. Mm. And then halfway through that year, we had the whole as you'll hear in our 1909 episode that we did ages ago. Um, you know, the rugby league decides that it needs to it needs to go after rugby union and get the Wallabies. And even though they got all of the greatest players in in the rugby union, which was the premier 
football code at the time, obviously. Um, they still needed Messenger to be involved in the game, so they had to drag him out of his one-year break to play in those four games for the Kangaroos against the Wallabies to make sure they still had some draw in it, mm-hmm. just to make sure they got their money back. And sure enough, he went and played. Um, he just they couldn't he could not rest. That's and, incredible. That's incredible. He must have been at, like as an athlete. The fact that he, like, and he did have that break, but the fact that he didn't just completely break down quickly with all of that going on, he must have been just one of those, uh, you know how sometimes there's a player, they just, they're just never injury prone. You know, it was like that was, uh, Petro Sivanasiva. Yeah. Like, there's just some players, and then you get other players, man, they can't stay healthy. He must have been like, you know, just, Made of granite. <laughs> just just unbelievable. Mm. So his longest break was... He played his last game on that kangaroo tour in, on February 22, 1909. Mm-hmm. Then he had the eight-week journey back to Australia. He played for Australia against the Maori on July 31. And then the following week, he played for the kangaroos against the wallabies, and he played in, those, played in three of those games. And then... Start of the 1910 season, so he didn't get a huge break. Mm. Probably got, I don't know, two months, and there's bang straight back into it. It's crazy, just insane. The, you know what? We're so lucky to love a sport that's got a history that is just so rich and has got so many layers. And like we, I mean, we've gone off on this crazy tangent all of a sudden, where it, like. There's all of these beautiful, amazing stories that extraordinary people have done these extraordinary things. And like, you can even sometimes get away from the sporting aspect of it and what they did on the field and, and think about some of the other elements that they had to overcome before it, they even thought about sport. I, I love that about rugby league and I always have. It's, we're very, very lucky. And, and I, that's one of the things I know we talked about when we started this podcast is just the chance to talk about these things and hopefully in just some tiny little way, like open these books in these pages in our game's history to a wider, a wider audience. It's, I hope that we're doing what we, we set out to do, you know? Absolutely. Uh, I just like the fact we talk about a bit of history on there. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you a bit of fact about Daily Messenger case. So, yeah. I took a bit of a guess about how many games he'd play at the club level. So at the end of the 1909 season, he'd played 83 games of rugby league all up. Well, three of them were rugby union. That was in 1907 against the, the All Golds. Mm-hmm. But by the end of 1909, he'd played 83 games and only two of them had been club games for East. It's crazy. So 81 rep games, two club games. It's just, it's crazy to think about. Yeah. Like the, was, most ex, the most experienced debut player ever in rugby yeah. league. People <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, talk about like, oh, the resume on this dude. Like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> no, I'll, I'm going to do some pretty thorough research on Daily Messenger over the next few weeks and stuff like that. And hopefully we'll put out an episode on him. Um, because personally, I've sh- I've shied away from him not because I I don't want to, but because mm. he is very well known. And if you want to find out plenty about Daily Messenger, it's not too hard to do. 
there's a lot yeah. written about him. Um, so I've always tried to go and get stories of the other players and the other administrators who are just as important to the game but are barely known. Mm-hmm. But we'll we'll try and get an episode out about Daily Messenger one day because obviously the listeners love the history ones and he's a key figure. So we'll have to get around to that sometime soon. Yeah, I, I mean, I... Oh man, doing a, a Daily Messenger episode. I, I can't even put that into words. That'll be amazing. Um, we should also say to people that are listening, the International Rugby League is putting out a list on their Twitter feed that we're waiting for that to be finished because we've had some people saying, please talk about this, talk about this. We're going to wait until it's finished. We're going to look through the list. We might look through some of the nominations. We're going to do that in one block for one podcast. And then the next podcast we're going to do is basically me and Andrew are going to name our greatest rugby league teams of all time. So Andrew will do his one. I'll do my one. They're probably going to be very, very similar because that seems to be the way that a lot of the stuff we do along these lines goes. But, um, like, yeah, that, I, and I'm really looking forward to that one too because that's another chance to talk about great players. Exactly. I'm always keen to talk about history. Yeah. It's been my, a... It's my boring monotone style. Nah, <laughs> seriously. Like, man, I, I love that people have got to hear a little bit about what we normally do. <laughs> this is normally how we talk about footy. We'll start off talking about one thing and then, like, three hours later, we're talking about how long it took to get on a boat and go to England and, oh, where did they stop off? Let's look that up. Oh, how much did it cost? I think I found a ticket. And, like, Andrew's always finding cool shit and it's cool. People people got a little glimpse then, I think. Just a little glimpse, yeah. We opened the door a little bit there. Yeah. Yeah, That's it's been a, a mixed episode. I'm glad that after a lot of the media stuff we got to talk about, what we really love talking about, which is footy. Absolutely. And... If you want to talk more about footy with us, you can follow us on Twitter at FergoFreakPod. We're also on Instagram at FergoFreakPod. Uh, on YouTube, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, and you can email us, Freaky, at podcast at leaguefreak.com. Send us your emails and we'll, we'll read them out and have a good old yarn about them, as we've just yeah. done today. And um, make sure you get out there and subscribe to us on YouTube, subscribe to us on your uh, yeah podcast listening device <laughs> program yeah, devices you could probably do it on your tv these days hey <laughs> probably do it on your fridge yeah i um, bet money there are, listen if you've got a fridge that can play a podcast send us a picture of it and we'll, yeah. we'll post it somewhere i don't know where bloody earth we'll do something about that uh, hey, make sure you give us a five-star rating and a review as well yeah, and get you tell your friends about us. Like, tell, get get onto your friends and say, listen, I listen to this podcast. It's pretty good value. Just give it a listen, see what you like, because um, that's the best way to to promote the podcast. That and retweets and and sharing posts that we put on Facebook and stuff like that. It all helps, and we real we honestly we see the numbers jump when people do that. So it's it's fantastic. Yep, you're all awesome, and yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Listen to us. We love it. Yeah, we do. I got one last thing to say. Yeah. Um, today, as we put this podcast out now, it is Star Wars Day. It is May the 4th. And so may the 4th be with you. Um, <laughs> may the 4th be with you. Uh, I am going to put up a video and you are going to see my Iron Man helmet and you are going to see my lightsaber. 
So check it out if you've been hearing about it and you want to see what it's like. So it was a pretty good video I put together too. Andrew's seen it. What did you reckon, Andrew? Mate, that's a massive lightsaber. Thank you. Thank you. It's pretty girthy, hey? Yeah, very girthy. How did you make it glow in the dark like that? You don't want to know. Let's just say I've got a lot of scrubbing to do. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that the X-rated video doesn't go out. Cause, yeah, imagine man, if that's uh, imagine if I put out the wrong video. Oh, that would be hilarious. I don't have videos like that because no one sent me any. You fucks. <laughs> and on that glorious note, thanks for tuning in, everyone. May the fourth be with you. Catch you next time.